0: What's up, guys? This is Jacques, and welcome back to Politically Incorrect. It is just me today flying solo, so we're going to catch up on all things Bravo and Hot Topics and Bachelor and everything, because I know that I didn't get to do it last week. I am caught up on most stuff now, because I went away for a few days for a family emergency, which isn't great, but the good side is that I was stuck in a hotel with nothing to do except watch Housewives, so I am all up to date on every franchise, especially the shitty ones like Salt Lake City, which I had previously ditched, and this one was a tough watch to catch up on. I know Salt Lake City's bad. You know Salt Lake City's bad. We all know that it's bad except for the crazies on Twitter who have been calling it the best first season of Housewives since Beverly Hills, which I don't even know what to say to those delusions. I mean, please seek the help of a medical professional immediately. But to be fair, Salt Lake City did have a few good episodes that are worth watching they did a cast trip to Vegas where crazy Jen Shah, who is the worst housewife ever, just freaked down on everybody the whole time. And it was a mess, but it was kind of fun to watch. And I know that I said that she was thirsty and that she's been doing everything for airtime, which she still is, but at this point you can see that she's actually just genuinely a nutcase. And- I'm not even sure if she should be on television, to be honest. I don't think that it's healthy for her. I don't think that it's healthy for the people around her. She's even worse than Siggy on New Jersey, because at least Siggy, her freakouts, like, they were kind of funny because they were so over the top, and Siggy wasn't violent. I mean, say what you want about her on Jersey, but she was not violent. Jen Shah, like, smashes things. She threatens to drown and murder people. She's kind of like Leanne Locken from Dallas on steroids. I mean, it is next level stuff. So, Gensha spent the Vegas trip just freaking out on everybody, and honestly, it was hard for me to even follow the storyline of, like, why she was upset, because literally everything sends her into a rage spiral, and I couldn't put it together. I'm like, wait, why is she upset again? But look, you've got her, and then at the other end of the spectrum is this housewife, Meredith, who is just anti-drama. She disengages from every conflict. Every time Jen Shah starts acting a fool, Meredith just says that she's disengaging and she walks away, and I love it because I'm a bit of a disengager too. I like to disengage and walk away before I lose my cool in real life, so I like that Meredith just kind of behaves like a normal person would in real life because in real life when someone is like being crazy like Jen Shah it's not like we stay back screaming at them and like throw a glass back in their face most of us would just be like okay this is ridiculous I'm disengaging So, I'm loving that from Meredith. However, I don't know if it's the best television since she's basically paid not to disengage and to fight with people, so we'll see how she does in the future. My guess is that Meredith will be back next season. I think everyone's coming back, but if she continues disengaging, I don't think that she'll last past her second season, so we'll keep an eye out on on Meredith. By the way, Meredith was actually the only good part about the finale uh, because once the Vegas trip ended, the show went back to being super boring. So, the finale was some party at Heather's Beauty Salon. I wasn't really following it. I actually was fast-forwarding parts of the episode because they were pretty painful. Uh, not much was happening and then Meredith shows up at this finale party in this crystal mask that covered her entire face she looked absurd and it was really funny there's a lot of really good memes about it online Uh, if you follow any of the bravo accounts i'm sure you've seen a hundred memes with meredith's crystal mask face uh and meredith if you're not watching the show she's the one with the gay son brooks who thinks he's a fashion designer because he put his name on some sweatpants that he brought from china i think they're trying to promote themselves as like some fashionista family like the Hadids, but it's definitely Definitely not working. And there is also this disturbing new trend now of the children of housewives starting businesses. So we've got Brooks with his stupid sweatpants. And then there was an entire scene in the finale of Lisa Barlow's boys launching a men's beauty brand or something. I think it was like body wash and shampoo. And they called it Fresh Wolf. Okay, her kids are like 10 and 14, somewhere in that vicinity. What do they know about men's grooming? You're lucky to get a boy at that age to even get in the shower in the first place, let alone to use soap and anything to clean themselves, let alone to use men's grooming products. Like, it is just so insane. And I actually went to the 14 year old's Instagram profile. His fucking Instagram bio said, CEO of Fresh Wolf. And then he had all these superposed black and white businessy type photos, like he was Steve Jobs. And. I... I... I can't deal. And then I went to the Fresh Wolf website, and it was just like a cheap Shopify store with no information about the company. All of the products looked super generic. You can tell that Lisa basically just got some generic formula for shampoo, and then they've slapped their logo on it. And now suddenly, you know, it's her, it's her children's business. Um, enough with the kids and their products. Shannon Bedore's daughter is writing a book about divorce. Lisa Rinna's daughters have those fashion lines. It's too much. Needs to stop. Stop. Anyway, if you ditch Salt Lake City because it was boring, but you're still kind of curious about what's going on on there, I recommend just jumping in, watch the Vegas trip, and then probably watch the reunion. I don't think you really need to watch anything else. Um, it's not really worth your time when there's a lot better stuff on Bravo right now to be watching. The best thing that I watched over the last week is actually the new New York Times documentary on Britney Spears, and wow, it is a lot. So it's all about the legal conservatorship that she's under, which is run by her father, Jamie, and how she has been trying to get him removed from it. Britney has been under this conservatorship for over a decade now, and legally she can't make any decisions for herself or her finances. It's incredibly restrictive, and the argument from a lot of people for a long time is that she doesn't need it and she's a grown woman. I mean, she tours the world, she releases albums, she does all of this stuff, so people are like, well, how can you be on stage and performing and making millions of dollars, but you're considered not mentally fit to even be able to do the most basic things for yourself and not have any control over your own life. And of course, in recent years, this has spawned the Free Britney movement from a lot of her fans, and it's kind of uh, like a a protest movement to get her free from this conservatorship. So, I was watching the documentary, and I honestly got a little frustrated uh, on a personal level watching it, because I used to be a somewhat prominent Britney stan back in the day, way back in the day when I was a blogger, and I was, I mean, obsessed with her. She was- I lived and breathed Britney Spears, and and I dramatically quit the fandom in 2011 when her Femme Fatale album was being rolled out, because I could see all of this happening at that stage. And I remember getting so much backlash from the Britney stan community for it and people thought I was being a hater or I was just being, you know, over dramatic and then you fast forward to where we are now and it's like, oh look, Shark was right, as usual. Not to toot my own horn, but I mean, come on. I know you guys think that I just have unpopular opinions for the sake of it, but, you know, I usually am on the right side of history. <laughs> so at the time, uh, you know, I was across a lot of the Britney things, I had read this really great uh kind of unauthorised biography on her that covered a lot of the conservatorship stuff in detail, so I was aware of all of the legal restrictions, and just as a fan uh, who had been following her so closely, I could see that something wasn't right. And Britney herself even uh, said on record that she felt trapped and that she wasn't allowed to do anything. Uh, She expressed this in the MTV documentary uh, that she did for her circus album in 2008. It was called For the Record. It was very raw. It was very sad. Uh, You could see Britney felt trapped. I think she started crying in one scene from memory because she said that she missed being able to go out and drive around in her car and have freedom and that, she didn't have any of that anymore. And she didn't say the words conservatorship, but it was very clear what she was talking about. And then a few years after that, by the time that Femme Fatale uh, came out in 2011, Britney had definitely lost her spark. And like any time that you saw her, it wasn't the same Britney Spears that we were used to seeing. Like Something was different. I think, uh, I don't know if it was depression, I don't know if it was medication, I can only speculate, but this was not the same girl. And She was never in the media anyway, like, you never saw her uh, around this period, and I found it so suspicious, and in the lead-up to her album release, I remember... They were, do- they were doing promo interviews for the album, but it was her manager doing the interviews, it wasn't Britney. And that was like a red flag to me straight away, because shouldn't the artist be talking for themselves? Like, imagine that Lady Gaga has an album come out and you click on MTV.com to hear her talk about, you know, the inspiration behind the music or whatever, and then it's her manager talking as if he's Lady Gaga. That's what it's like. So, that was very strange. It was clear that they were hiding Britney away, and then the album dropped, and there were all these rumours that Britney herself hadn't even done all of the vocals on the album. There's this uh, there's this singer, it's kind of a conspiracy theory in the Britney fan community. Her name is Maya Marie. She would do a lot of demo vocals and backing vocals for Britney, but... There was, I think, a somewhat credible uh, theory that Maya Marie had actually sang some of the full vocals on the album, um, and Britney was barely doing any promo for it at the time, and when she did, she looked kind of, you know, sluggish, it wasn't the same person, and- You know, as a fan, my mentality was always that I would rather see Britney just quit music and leave the public eye and be with her kids. You know, I, as much as I loved her music and I loved, uh, you know, I got a lot of joy from seeing her perform and seeing her out and, you know, just being a star. If she didn't want that life and she just wants to be with her kids and be away from the media, I was like, go for it, Britney, like, you know, fly free. But the rest of the fandom was really obsessed with getting the, you know, quote unquote, old Britney back. Uh, that they remembered from their childhood and I really got a sense around that period that her fans were more than happy to see Britney completely controlled and, you know, in a bad situation, as long as someone could still wheel her out in a G-string on stage to lip sync to sexy songs. That's all they really cared about, in my opinion. And, you know, that is one reason why I left the fandom. Uh, I didn't think that they really cared about Britney as a person. I think it was just more about, you know, we want our old Britney back. You know, we want a hot Britney back. It wasn't like what's best for Britney's, you know, well-being. And, you know, it isn't lost on me that uh, the Free Britney movement really gained traction just a few years ago when Britney refused to perform in her Vegas residency and basically vanished from the public eye. I don't think that the Free Britney movement would have the traction um, and the following that it does now if Britney was still, you know, putting out music videos, even if it was obvious that something wasn't right with her. Anyway, look, this is a great documentary. It's definitely a must watch. And, you know, because I don't follow Britney as closely anymore as I used to. I forgot how beautiful she was back in the day, and just watching all the old footage of her in her prime, I was just so blown away by her natural beauty, and it's not just that she's physically perfect, but she's such a sweet person on the inside, so it's like she has such a glow, she has such an inner beauty, it really- just shines through and it was nice kind of watching and it brought back a lot of memories and nostalgia from when I was a diehard fan. The doco also showed a lot of the creepy sexual comments that were made about her from a young age and that was quite disturbing to watch. And it was only like 20 years ago which I feel like doesn't even feel like that long ago but Britney had to field so many gross and invasive questions about her virginity and her body and just it was so inappropriate it would never fly in this day and age ever. Uh, They also showed a lot of the cruel, you know, media coverage about her too, and how the entire media bullied her. And it wasn't just like tabloids and paparazzi, it was also serious journalists like Diane Sawyer and Matt Laura and, you know, Anderson Cooper, just everyone was, I think, awful to her. And it was, that was very depressing and sad to, to look back on. And the documentary- It was funny, they tried to put a lot of the blame just on men and like a misogynistic culture, but there were just as many women tearing Britney down as there were men. I mean, it was across the board, it definitely wasn't just a misogyny uh, problem, even though that does play a factor, but there was so much more to it. Also, this is an unpopular opinion, but they really tried to demonise Justin Timberlake a lot, and I didn't agree they basically made out uh, that he was a misogynist who never should have outed Britney as a cheater and, you know, did the whole Crimea River music video, etc. And I just thought it was really unfair. Like, yes, JT is a bit of a dickhead and there's plenty that we can criticize about him, but people also forget that he was a really young guy at that time too, just like Britney. He was caught up in that whole manufactured pop world. He was at the same record label as Britney as well when he did Cry Me a River. So it was probably something that the label pushed for him to do because it would be great publicity, which it was. All of the uh, Twitter people have their pitchforks out for JT. And I just think that we need to have a little more sympathy for both Justin and Britney and kind of to recognise that they were both very young and under a lot of pressure and scrutiny. They were also child stars that were probably used to doing what they were told from, you know, adults at record labels and management and everything. And I mean, I do think that Britney cheated on him anyway. with uh, The word was that she cheated on him with the choreographer Wade Robson. Um, That was always the rumour. And I think Justin can express himself in a song about it if he wants, like he's an artist. Uh, Britney's done songs on Justin and Kevin Federline. So, calm down. It's what artists do. And you know what? The same goes for bashing JT over the Super Bowl fiasco with Janet Jackson. I know that it's become really trendy to hate on Justin every year now when the Super Bowl rolls around and we all blame him for Janet's backlash and for the wardrobe malfunction, but look at it like this. And I say this as the biggest Janet Jackson fan on the planet, like a bigger fan of Janet than I was of Britney. Like, she's still my number one pop star of all time. I am ride or die for Janet. I can tell you anything you want to know about Janet, anything about her discography. Like, I'm indeed with Janet. But Justin was a guest feature in her Super Bowl show. It wasn't his show, it was hers. He was a new young solo artist at the time. Yes, he'd been around in NSYNC, but this was when he was at the very start of his solo career. He must have been in his early 20s, and she was a 40-something Janet Jackson, the biggest pop star in America. So, If you want to talk about power dynamics, she definitely had the upper hand in that one. I mean, it was her titty. It was her Super Bowl halftime show. I'm sure he had management and his record label telling him to shut up and say nothing when that backlash took place. Because, I mean, it was a huge scandal at the time, I'm sure we all remember. I think that it was either like the NFL or the TV network that broadcast it was fined millions of dollars for, you know, Janet's nip slip. Uh, Janet was blacklisted from radio. I mean, the fallout was extreme, and of course Justin's record label isn't going to want him to jump in front of a bullet right as he's becoming the biggest male pop star in the world. I mean come on look at it like that so honestly the Britney and the Janet fans they really need to move the fuck on from both of these things it was like 20 something years ago Janet has moved on Britney has moved on Justin has moved on like they're all over it like Britney doesn't have a problem with Justin anymore and then the fans just dredge it up like every year like cancel Justin look what Justin did to Britney and Janet like fucking get over it he was like 21 move on Anyway, I am hoping for the best for Brittany and her future. Uh, I will say, though, again, uh, this might be unpopular, I don't know, but I don't know if Brittany at this point is capable of being completely free from the conservatorship, and I don't say that so much as a negative about her per se, but just that any powerful celebrity who gets rich and famous from a young age is pretty incompetent when it comes to real life stuff. Like, if you took Christina Aguilera's team away from her today, she probably wouldn't even be able to do the most simple basic tasks that we take for granted. Like, I don't think that she would know how to drive. Actually, she doesn't know how to drive. I read that in Rolling Stone. But she would not know how to get to the bank, withdraw money, and buy groceries and get her rent paid like she wouldn't be able to do it and that would go for a lot of celebrities that have been in a similar situation to her where it's um you've come up from a very young age and that's the life that you know and these celebrities they are so talented when it comes to making music and performing but most of them cannot function outside of their bubble and we forget that they don't think like us like the world that they're in is so far removed from what we can even imagine that that's why f- fucking celebrities are crazy and weird. Like, they don't live on the same planet as we do. And, you know, the one time that Britney did take control of her life uh, during the Kevin Fedline years, it ended in disaster, as we all know. And I do wonder what her capacity is to do things for herself now that it's been more than a decade under the conservatorship. And we don't know what um, mental health issues she's battling, if any. I mean, we don't know if she has mental health problems or not. There's such a kind of a wall around, you know, Britney Inc. that we don't really know what's going on. But I just feel like she spent more of her life being managed and controlled by other people than she has being herself and free. I mean, you're not really free as a child because you do what your parents say. So she really, the only time she's been able to kind of like do her own thing, I guess, is when she fucked off her management when she was with Kevin Federline and um had the babies. And yeah, again, that definitely wasn't a great time period for her, was it? With that said, they need to get her father, Jamie, off this conservatorship ASAP, because in the documentary, they reveal that Britney never wanted him on there. She requested it from the start. Uh, that was ignored, which is just disgusting. And that's what she's fighting. Um, That is really, it seems to be what the whole Free Britney movement is about at this point, like getting Jamie off. And I also think that they do need to put a process in place, where Britney is gradually getting acclimated to having less restrictions on her, which would eventually hopefully lead to a fair and independent review of the conservatorship, and then a decision can be made whether she actually needs it or not. Maybe she doesn't, or maybe it needs to be like stripped back a lot or something, but I don't understand why it's remained in place as it has without any significant changes since- I think it was, what, since 2007, 2008 or something? That's crazy to me. And and I don't know, though. I mean, the future is a bit bleak, not to be depressing, but when there's so much money involved, you know, with Britney, like, she's so lucrative. Britney can bring you in, like, tens of millions of dollars a year if she's working. So, there's so many people that financially benefit from her being under this conservatorship that they're going to fight tooth and nail to – keep things as they're going, and just with the way that the legal system is, um, I I don't know. I don't know how, how what the future's going to be like for it, but I do think it's important for people and fans to continue doing the Free Britney movement, to, kin- to continue speaking up. This New York Times documentary, for sure, is going to make an impact because it's made more people aware, and sometimes in situations like this, if there is enough public pressure Uh, you know, the wheels can get moving a little more. So, hopefully this stays in the spotlight and, you know, I will definitely be following it and keeping an eye on what happens with this. So, besides the Britney documentary, I also watched the Wendy Williams Lifetime movie and her accompanying documentary. Now, I'm a long-time Wendy fan from even before her uh, talk show. I mean, everyone knows her now from the talk show. We all watch the Hot Topics segment on YouTube, I think. But I liked her when I was growing up because I used to really be into hip-hop and R&B music, and she would always have, like, the tea on the, you know, the rappers and everything. So, I knew her from then. Uh, I was really excited to watch this. The Lifetime movie was pretty good by Lifetime standards. Uh, I thought it was really well acted. Uh, At first, I couldn't see the actress as Wendy, but then as it went on, I realised that she had, like, all of Wendy's, like, mannerisms and everything down. So she did a really good job. Um, A lot of the movie focused really on uh, Wendy's breakdown of her marriage to um Kevin which we all know that he cheated on her and got another woman pregnant and all of that so they go into that it was pretty good you know I love a lifetime movie because they're always juicy they always have uh something fun because you know even if they're bad they're still like so bad it's good to watch so it's either you luck out and it's like genuinely good or it's a hot mess, but it's funny to watch anyway. I never really watch Hollywood movies. I mean, I like old school Hollywood, but, uh, you know, anything kind of maybe, I don't know, past like the year 2000, I'm a bit like, mm, and I just think they get progressively worse each year. I actually was going to watch that uh the new Justin Timberlake movie, Palmer, because um, I thought that would be good. And, you know, I've seen Justin. In, Justin's in a couple of movies that I really liked, Richard Kelly's Southland Tales and uh, Black Snake Moan with Samuel Jackson. So, I know that he's actually quite a good actor when he's in the right role. So I was excited, and then I looked at the trailer, and it was, like, some gay kid that gets bullied or whatever, and I'm like, oh, fuck, another one of these movies? Like, obviously it's a good message, I'm gay, Uh, I'm against, you know, bullying, whatever. I mean, I'm not against bullying if it's on The Bachelor, I'm against bullying in real life if it's, like, you know racism and homophobia and all of that but um i just feel like all these hollywood movies are the same it's like can i please just watch one of these movies without the storyline being um you know i'm minority x or you know, I'm disabled or whatever, and now I have to overcome this, and, you know, people were mean to me, and now, you know, we all learn to love and accept each other. Again, it's a great message. I just feel it's like every fucking movie. And honestly, if I want to watch a a message movie, I'll probably just watch, like, uh, something from Europe or whatever where it's done with a little bit more subtlety and nuance instead of, like, a fucking sledgehammer like all of these Hollywood movies where it's like, this is the message, and they shove it in your face. So... A uh, long-winded way to say that, no, I didn't watch Palmer. So I did enjoy the Wendy Williams Lifetime movie. Then I watched... Uh, she did a documentary afterwards that went for about an hour and a half. That, I think, was better. Uh, if you're a big Wendy fan, I recommend watching both. If if you're just, like, a casual Wendy observer, you can watch either one. I mean, if you're more of a documentary person, watch the doc. If you like a trashy movie, watch the Lifetime film. Um, I, you know, I've got to say that there was a lot that they didn't have in the movie and the documentary. Um, I think they actually downplayed Wendy's substance abuse, for sure. Like, they did make- they did address that she had a coke problem and everything, which we all know about, but the stuff later in life, they said that she was drinking too much wine from the stress of Kevin cheating on her. I actually don't believe that. And they left out some things that I really would have wanted to know, like- if you are familiar with Wendy, you know all about her feud with Charlemagne the God. They, uh, Charlemagne was like her sidekick on the radio. They had a kind of famous falling out that was caused by Kevin. Uh, no one really knows all of the details of it. We know bits and pieces. I would have loved to see that. I think it's interesting that they didn't address that. Uh, I still believe Wendy is hiding things. And it also, it painted her in a very positive light. So the story arc really was a bit like... Wendy's dating this dickhead that cheats on her and then she finds her voice and she takes control of her career. I have always looked at Wendy as a little bit of a Britney where I don't know if she knows how to function without kind of a team doing everything for her. And I think that is why Kevin was able to run her life for so long because he was her manager. And, um, I think he had more control of her than she lets on in the documentary. And in this documentary, by the way, she's an emotional wreck. Uh, Every single scene, she's breaking down, crying hysterically. Uh, You know, and Wendy is just a very eccentric character if you watch her – just interviewed uh, like i've been watching a lot of the promo interviews that she's done she's a real wacky kind of person like again she's one of these celebrities i think that they're kind of off on their own planet um and while i do commend her for including a lot of like personal stuff in the documentary and the lifetime film for sure like there were things that she covered like being sexually assaulted having an abortion um really dark deep stuff I also think that um, things were either left out or downplayed. I definitely think there's more to the Wendy story, and I don't know when we're going to get it. Maybe, you know, one day... decades to come we'll get the true unauthorized Wendy story but you know I'm happy for her I have noticed just as a viewer of hers that she really has had her shit together a lot more than she used to because there really was a period when um she was going through the divorce with Kevin and everything and she was coming on air and she wasn't knowing what she was talking about and people suspected that she was still using drugs uh I can't speak on that. I don't know if she was using drugs, if she was drinking wine, quote-unquote, drinking too much wine, like she says in the documentary. I don't know if it was just stress. I do know that I felt... A lot of sympathy for her watching that documentary because to see what kevin put her through with the constant affairs and everything and then the scrutiny she was under from you know the general public and trying to deal with it and just knowing the kind of person that wendy is you know wendy likes to keep her life private and talk about other people so to suddenly have her hot mess of a life you know out there on front street for everybody to judge must have been really difficult and i felt for her from uh All the times that I sort of saw her go on the Wendy Williams show looking uh, less than 100%. But look, again, I think there's more to the Wendy story than we saw, but it's still a really good watch. And, you know, I actually would have liked to see a bit more about her radio career and the ins and outs, but I think that's just... From me, because I'm interested in like the media work side of things, I understand why they focused more on kind of the interpersonal, uh you know, relationships. Specifically, really, her the breakdown of her marriage to Kevin. It was almost like she did the documentary in the film as like a fuck you to Kevin. You know she she's an icon. Like she's amazing. She broke down so many barriers in radio, and she's legendary in radio. And then she has gone to daytime TV and done the same. And it's so hard to it's so hard to succeed in one of those areas let alone both of them. So, I really do take my hat off to Wendy and I do think she's incredible and I do think that she gave us more in this documentary and Lifetime movie than most celebrity bios would. So, even though I'm saying that I think some stuff was played down or left out, I still think she gave us more than like a lot of other people would. So, look, if you're a fan of hers, I recommend um, checking them both out. And again, if you're just a casual observer, maybe just like watch the documentary so summer house is back on bravo for season five uh if you don't watch summer house it is one of those kind of like vanderpump rules type shows it is set in new york and the hamptons it's basically a bunch of new yorkers that go to the hamptons they rent a house uh for the summer and they just party and they get drunk like jersey shore style and obviously they hook up they have drama um It's a very generic formula for a reality show, but it works. It's quite fun. It's not the best show on Bravo, but it does have a bit of a following, and it really is being positioned as kind of the new Vanderpump Rules, because Vanderpump Rules has run out of steam a little bit now with all their controversies, and Summer House is like the hot new thing. I will start covering it properly as of next week, because I'm not fully caught up on it yet. I'm at the end of season three. If you're interested in getting on the Summer House train, you really can just start watching from season three that's what all the fans told me because they did do a little bit of a reboot where they brought in some like new characters that become like central figures on the show so you can start watching from season three and four and the seasons aren't as long as some of the other Bravo shows so jump in there Summer House of course is the show with Hannah Burner you'll all know who Hannah Burner is she's Starcy 2.0 she's Bravo's golden girl she is everywhere she has 50,000 podcasts She has the Bravo chatroom talk show. Uh, She tweets constantly. She Instagrams constantly. You can't escape Hannah Burner. It's a lot. Uh, I don't have anything against her personally. I just feel like the level of exposure she has versus the talent and star quality, it's a little out of whack. Uh, And you know what? It's my personal goal to beat Hannah Burner on the podcast charts consistently. In Australia, at least. Look, I'm not delusional. I don't expect to surpass Hannah in America, but in Australia, yes, I need to take her down. I need to take her Giggly Squad podcast down. I was beating Giggly Squad at one point in Australia for like five seconds. Of course, I've dropped back down again, but it is my goal Within like I don't know, let's give it like six months. I'll give myself some time. Six months time, I want to consistently chart higher than both of Hannah Burner's podcasts in Australia. So that's the goal. And uh, yes, I will be covering it more next week. So you've still got time to get into it if you want to do a little bit of a binge this week. Uh, check out Carl on the show. He's very hot. He's one of the only masculine men on Bravo, I would say. I mean, he has a hairy chest. He has a deep voice. He's very tall. He's a fuck boy, of course, like all Bravo bros, but I love him. He's so hot. So yeah, check out Summer House. The latest season of Southern Charm is coming to an end, and I did not cover it uh, on the podcast this past season, which I really do regret, um, because I think there's a lot of topics on there that would have been fun for me to talk about, but I'm like a season behind on it, so I didn't jump in there. All I can say about Southern Charm is that this Madison LaCroix- has got this show renewed for another season because i really think that southern charm was on its way out uh you know the cast members were aging out a bit they lost some some key players on the show i think people were really getting over it and this madison she's this blonde she's really cute she seems to bang a lot of celebrities she's all over the media she was banging no she wasn't banging a rod but she had i think she had a uh maybe an emotional affair, a FaceTime affair, something happened. And, you know, A-Rod's with J-Lo. So, you know what? Go, Madison. You put yourself in a headline with A-Rod and J-Lo and you're a fucking Bravo reality star. So, that's pretty amazing. And she also banged Jay Cutler, who is Kristen Cavallari's ex-husband or a strange husband or something. That has been all over the media. That's insane. So, Madison's carrying southern charm on her back right now whether you like her or not uh it's not easy to go from kind of you know like the bachelor or bravo or one of these reality shows and like really hit mainstream headlines and she has done that and southern charm has desperately needed a new central female figure uh outside of Catherine because the show has been revolving around Catherine since it began and Catherine is good TV but she's the most toxic awful person I can't believe that she has fans like she's just the worst so what I've seen on social media is that people have actually turned on Catherine now which I'm glad about like Catherine and Thomas who were the central players on the show they're both the worst ever and it was one of those situations like the Real Housewives of New Jersey with Teresa where the show kind of has to revolve around one person and no matter how awful that person is. Everyone has to be in their orbit for the show to work. Now that Madison is carrying so much of this show herself, we actually are going to get a bit of balance. I think that a Catherine versus Madison feud is something that we all want to see. I think that Southern Charm now has some new life breathed into it. So, Southern Charm is definitely one to watch uh, and to check out next season. And if you... I uh, have never watched Southern Charm before. It is definitely up there with one of the best Bravo shows. I'm only about a season behind. I love it. So look, you've got a year from now to next year to catch up. So that's definitely one that's worth getting into. In some non-Bravo TV news for a second, then I'm going to get back to Bravo and the Housewives. You need to be watching Married at First Sight Australia, okay? It is just premiered in the US on the Lifetime Network. Uh, I think it premiered February 4th, and it's currently in the middle of the season in the UK. I'm not exaggerating when I say this. This season that they're airing is one of the greatest seasons of reality television I've ever seen in my lifetime it aired in Australia about two years ago it was the biggest reality season we've ever had it broke records it was so big that they aired the finale in theaters and yes I went to the theater to watch it with my friends uh, if you listen to my Blair White interview last week this is actually the season that I almost got on uh, and then I got cut at the end you've never seen anything like this season before and I know that it's actually not just an Australian thing because it's airing in the US uk now and i've been following the uk media and how they've been reacting to this season and they're just as blown away as we were in australia the drama is unrivaled the the characters on this show are it's just like words can't even describe and i'm actually going to get some of the people from the season on the podcast to spill some tea about behind the scenes and everything so i am friends with a few of them now uh it's amazing. It's, I mean, you know the premise of married at first sight, right? They get strangers, they get married. The Australian version, of the marriages are not legal. They are in the US version, but the Aussie one, they're fake marriages. So they get people and they have to live together as like man and wife. And then they, all the different couples, they go and live together in kind of like a Melrose place style complex apartment Uh, and then they have these dinner parties every week where they just fight and have drama together and then they do these commitment ceremonies that are kind of like survivor and they vote if they want to stay in the marriage or leave the marriage the twist is that you can't leave the marriage unless (laughs) unless both people vote to leave so say you've been paired with, like, the worst person ever. Imagine, and that's what they do on this show, by the way, these relationship experts that match the couples, they purposely mismatch everyone, so they're paired with someone that they hate. So you're paired with someone that you can't stand, you're fighting like cat and dog every week, you vote to leave the marriage, but then they vote to stay, you have to stay, like, you can't leave the show. And people have affairs and they cheat on each other, and it's... It has everything, like I'm telling you, one of the best seasons of reality television I've ever seen. I don't know with the um with them airing the Australian season in the US right now on Lifetime. I don't know if they've edited it down because I saw a promo for it and it looked like they may have edited some of the episodes down and combined a few episodes because It is a very long season in Australia. It was on, like, four times a week or something, so I think that you might be getting a condensed version in the US. Um, But, look, anyway, you've got to watch it. I'm going to talk about it on the show. People in the UK are obsessed with it. Like, Sam Smith was tweeting about it. He said it was incredible television – Trust me on this, watch Married at First Sight Australia. It's on lifetime in the US. My UK listeners, I'm sure you're all watching it uh, over in the UK now because it's all I see on my social media timelines and I know that it's breaking ratings records over there for the network just like it did in Australia and it makes me so happy seeing everybody get to experience this show because it was something that we all loved in Australia at the time and it kind of like took over the country. Uh you know, I've never really seen something like it. It was kind of like if you went on any news website that Married at First Sight was the top story. Like, I mean like news, like not the entertainment section. Like you go on like the news section on the front homepage and it'll be like Married at First Sight. You would go out in public and you would overhear people talking about it. It really was next level. So, you've really got to watch that, trust me. So, I'm watching The Housewives of Dallas. Uh, I'm caught up on that. Everybody hates Mexican Carrie. I mean, like, everybody hates her. My Twitter timeline was just, I haven't seen anything like this in a long time. People hate her. And you know what? It is, it's pretty overblown. Like, she's annoying for sure. She's definitely quite annoying on the show. But the level of hate is too much. And you know what? I have a theory that half the reason people hate her is that she's not as like glamorous looking as some of the other women like she's 50 she looks great for 50 by the way um she has a fantastic body but she has like a natural looking face she hasn't pulled her face back and filled it with fillers and botox and everything because the thing about carrie is she isn't any more annoying than, like, a Jennifer Aiden or something, like, or even Cameron. Like, I love Cameron. Cameron can be pretty annoying. There's a lot of very annoying housewives, but I honestly think that because, like, she's just not that glam and she doesn't have great style or anything, people (laughs) overly hate her because when another housewife is walking around with their, like, big blown-up lips and their big, you know, Chanel logos and stuff on everything, people on Twitter are, like, standing and loving it. But- People hate Carrie, but it's, it's, I don't know. I'm just like, wow. I think it's a little overblown with the Carrie hate right now. Dallas overall, it's okay. I've had to fast forward some stuff. Stephanie, who I actually like Stephanie, but she has all these family scenes with her parents, had to fast forward that. And by the way, I just want to add that I'm not someone that likes to fast forward a show or I like to give a show my full attention. I don't even like to sit on my phone when I'm watching something because I'm like, I just am like, ugh, I'm not one of those low attention span people that, you know, can't focus, but some of these shows lately and with the amount of shows that I'm having to watch just to keep up with it all for the podcast, if it's not that engaging, uh if it's not that engaging, I disengage and I fast forward or I look at my phone or I do something else. And that's happening with some of the stuff on Dallas, but it's not bad. Uh Tiffany, the new Asian housewife, people are obsessed with her. She is a good- she's definitely a good addition. She's classy. She's smart. She had a bit of a back and forth with Carrie, and she really shut Carrie down, and that was quite fun to watch. She did tell a story, though, that I found interesting. So, she's having trouble, right, because she's in an, it, and I can't pronounce it. Anitha- Th- I'm not even- okay. She- she does something in the hospital. She's some kind of doctor, <laughs> I can't pronounce it. She's some kind of doctor, and she's struggling with the work-life balance because she works a lot. Obviously, she's filming The Real Housewives of, D- of Dallas, and she feels like she's not spending as much time with her kids as she could, and she's reflecting back to her own childhood because, you know, Asian parents are very strict. They're very conservative. They're very all about the grades, you know, all about perfection. So, she was raised like that. And she's crying and she's saying that she, you know, she's a tiger mum as well, but she doesn't want to be as strict as her parents were on her. And she tells this story and she's saying that her parents would tell her when she was little because they came, I think they came from China or something. When she was very young, they emigrated to America and she's like, you know, my dad went from running a company with 200 employees, um, you know, in China to coming over to America and washing dishes so I could have a better life. And I'm like, hang on, you left a fucking company in China, and China's like a world superpower, like, it's all happening in China, so you left China to come to America to fucking wash dishes. Um, No offence, I know I have a lot of American listeners, and I would love to live in America, I am looking for an American husband, okay, so I'm not shading America, but I don't think that I would leave a very successful, wealthy life in China, running a fucking company, to go wash dishes in Houston. Um, for what? I mean, I'm pretty sure that Tiffany could have got a great education and a great life in China. She probably could have married some rich Chinese businessman. I'm sure she could have pursued what she wanted to pursue over there. Yes, there's a lot of problems in China, for sure. There's also a lot of problems in America. So, that struck me as strange. Uh, You know, that was a few decades ago, obviously, because I think Tiffany's like 38. So, I wonder if the perception now has changed. Like, I don't think people in China now are like, oh my god, let me leave my, you know, successful life over here to come over to America. Or maybe they are. I I, Fucked if I know. Come to Australia. Australia's better than China and America. No shade. Yeah, what else is going on on Dallas? Oh, look, Deandra. Deandra's very fake. I'm sorry. I do like Deandra. She's trying to be really funny this season. It's not working. Someone called her out on it actually, saying that she wasn't very funny and she was she was walking around with a stick with a dummy, a mannequin's head on it that's meant to be Brandy's head and I think she thought it was like a killer gag and it just it was it was weird. Uh, and if you look at her Twitter every day Deandra is on Twitter just kissing tiffany's ass i think she knows that tiffany is like is gonna i think she knew tiffany would be the fan favorite and especially now that she's seeing it in real time because people love tiffany like people cannot get enough of this tiffany and deandra has hitched herself to that bandwagon um i think deandra overall is really great on the dallas housewives and i actually do like her but i think she's extremely calculated i think she uh i think she did a lot of things to leanne um, That Leanne ended up taking, you know, the fall for. I think there was some of that was, you know, Deandra's machinations behind the scenes. And I think Deandra probably was gassing Carrie up to go after Leanne last season because obviously Carrie has this very annoying personality and she does nitpick on people. So look, Deandra not coming off super authentic. Uh, Oh, and I will say about Carrie, by the way, Carrie and Cam are like. BFFs now, I kind of made fun of their podcast a few weeks ago because it's a very very strange podcast. And when I was talking about their podcast, I was like, how do they have a podcast together? They're so different. It makes no sense. And now that I'm watching their friendship on the show, I actually can see why they're friends because they both – Uh, have this nitpicky personality where they'll hone in on like little things and they won't let it go and they'll keep pecking at you until you snap over it they get fixated on it and it kind of goes back to my point earlier when i said that people don't like carrie because she's not glamorous because cameron basically does the same thing that carrie does except cameron has like impeccable style she's fucking fabulous like i Tweeted the other day that I think she has one of the best styles of, of all the housewives, and she's like this quirky El Woods, legally blonde type character. So people love it because she's cute and pretty. And then Carrie, who, by the way, I'm not saying Carrie's not pretty. I actually think she looks great for 50, but she looks more like a she looks like a real person. Okay, she's not all fake and plastic, and she just dresses like a normal person too. And people don't like it, so <laughs> I don't know. Um, as far as as far as Dallas goes, some people are enjoying it. Uh, I think that um if you like to stay on top of all the housewives, it's definitely worth watching. If you're not super big on Housewives, I wouldn't call it essential viewing. So look, if if you want to watch it, watch it, yeah, maybe put it on the background and then tune in for the fun scenes. Tiffany is a good addition. so I don't know, it's all right. So, Kelly Dodd is in hot water again. She got dropped from Positive Beverage. That was her beverage brand. She featured it heavily on the Housewives of OC. And, uh, you know, they had really been sticking by her because obviously she's had a lot of controversies, one after the other. Positive Beverage have stuck by her. They kept her as their spokesperson or... their their investor I don't understand what her role specifically was with them but they kind of kept her as the face of the company but they finally cut ties the other day when she went on her Instagram stories she was with some friends they were at a restaurant they didn't have masks on and they were yelling super spreaders into the camera or something like that and positive beverage was like enough is enough people were really upset over it Kelly tried to defend herself later, and she said that she'd been vaccinated and that all of her friends had been vaccinated, uh, so they weren't doing anything wrong. Look, I don't know if they were vaccinated. I actually don't know the ins and outs of how the vaccinations work in America. I don't know who gets them and who doesn't get them. So, let's just say, for argument's sake, that she was vaccinated, right? And her friends are vaccinated, and... They didn't do anything wrong other than make a you know another joke in poor taste, yelling uh, super spreaders. Why would you go and do that when you're literally in so much hot water, you're in the firing line, everyone's trying to get you fired, every single thing you do is under the microscope and criticised, and then you choose to go on social media and do that? You're just asking for trouble. Uh, you're throwing gasoline on the fire that doesn't need to be there. I actually messaged her when I saw the video, when it went up in real time, and I was like, girl, like, get off social media. (laughs) Um, And, you know, it's blown up in her face, and you can't really blame anyone but her for this, because, you know, I've been very objective with Kelly, and some people have tried to twist it and make it like, you know, I defend every problematic thing that she does, which I absolutely have not. I defended one thing that she did a while ago with the hat, um, which I don't even know if you would call it a full defense. I basically- I don't know. That was go listen to that episode. I'm not gonna go over my breakdown of that because I think I broke it down for about half an hour. Uh and then there was a whole situation the other week with um, you know, that account. I won't say who that Charlotte. <laughs> Charlotte, aka Sam, uh that we went into. I wasn't defending Kelly there, but uh people tried to twist it. But anyway, my point is I'm objective with Kelly. I don't just like jump on the bandwagon to hate her. I just look at each freaking scandal as it comes up and judge it accordingly. And uh, I just look at this and I just think, Kelly, why would you even do this? Like, it's almost like she wants to be fired. Uh, And people have let her get away with a lot of things. And now I really do think that she probably will get the boot from the OC just because there's too much backlash where it's like, no matter how good she is on the show, at some point, uh bravo need to protect themselves like it's getting to a point where i think if they kept her people would be you know boy coming after the advertisers and boycotting advertisers and i think it would get serious and i think that bravo has been quite good with kelly like i they really have kept her on the show do a lot of the scandals and the backlash um you know i don't i don't think that they've tried to cancel her or anything if anything they've really kept her on the platform and ignored some of the stuff whereas other people at that network i think have been punished for much less so i think bravo have been really good to kelly but it comes to a point where it's becoming a liability for them i think because she can't control herself and Of course, that's what makes her good on the show. She's unproduced, no filter, does what she wants, and we love that about her. But then when it keeps getting into trouble and it comes to a point where she can't protect herself and it's going to become an issue for Bravo now, I don't know what else they can really do. Uh, Word on the street is that they are rebooting the show in some- now, who knows what reboot means? Andy said reboot, but- you know, he'll say a reboot and then he'll just change one cast member, so we can't really go from that. All about the T, who have had some good OCT recently. I mean, they've been correct on a few things. They think that maybe like three people could uh, be off the show and that they could even reboot it and make it like The Real Housewives of Newport Beach or something, you know, give it a twist. I'm not sure. I don't think that it needs that unless it's just for optics uh, to make people feel like it's a fresh show. I don't know. I don't think they need to change the name. I don't think they even need to change the cast because the last season of OC, I know that a lot of you weren't a fan of it. And I know that I have, you know, defended it week after week here, being the only person doing so. But you have to admit that they did have a fair bit of drama considering how much they had to film separately. I mean, considering COVID and the pandemic, then you look at how dramatic the reunion was. You look at all the drama that Kelly's had, that Broman's had. Um... I think they could like keep the cast the same and just add like one new person in to freshen it up. Maybe have Tamra come in as like a friend of Bronwyn's or something. And I think the drama would be off the charts because I just think it's all brewing and there's all there's so much uh conflict between them. I think we would get an explosive season if we just started filming now and they didn't have the COVID restrictions and they could do their thing. I think it would be off the charts, but there is that perception out there that drastic changes need to be made to the show. Uh again, I don't think Kelly I don't think Kelly will be back. I would be shocked if she was. And I really think that she could have held on to the job if she just put her phone down. If she just stayed off Instagram and stayed off Twitter, she would not have been fired because some of the other things were a bit they were either like problematic but not problematic enough to get you fired or they're a bit overblown or something. But she just keeps putting salt in the wound and it it's at a point where you think, well I don't know. And I don't know what's going on with her. I actually- this is one reason that I sometimes have sympathy or empathy for uh, people in the spotlight that keep fucking up and keep being problematic because uh, I think that something happens to them whereas they get so much backlash and criticism that they lose the ability to understand what is a val- valid criticism and what is just haters at a cancel culture mob mentality. And I think that- Kelly is in that frame of mind now, I don't think that she can tell the difference between people saying, um, girl, you know, this is wrong and this is why, and people just trying to cancel her. She doesn't understand the difference, really. I think she's too into it. I think for her mental health, it would actually would be good for her to be off the show and to come back down to earth, to get out of that spotlight a bit and out of- um the constant cycle of the backlash she's getting. And then I think she might be able to come uh, to a realisation herself about some things that she's done and have a better look at herself. Um, You know, I've thought about if she's off the show, you know, getting her on the podcast to interview her, but I don't think she's in a place to be able to hear it right now because I do think she's sort of in the eye of the storm. And I feel like if I had her on to interview her, you know, I, it couldn't just be a like, oh, my God, Kelly, Like, let's just talk about like fun things on the show and get the tea, because she's so controversial at the moment. We would have to address a lot of uh, the scandals and stuff that she's had, right? So, we would have to address it, and I don't think that right now she's in a place to be able to talk about it with a clear mind and to be able to hear criticism even if it's coming from a good place. So I don't think I think that if I interviewed her I don't think it would be productive. I think there could be a good interview down the line once she's far removed from it a bit and can listen a bit more, but I just feel like if I tried to interview her now it would turn into a situation where I would probably just have to keep hammering her. I wouldn't want to have a guest on and then it's a whole situation where I just need to be, like, holding their feet to the fire the entire time. Like, I do like to ask people about their criticism. Um, you know, when I had Blair White on last week, I asked her, I think I asked her about three different things that she's had backlash for about, um, you know, specific incidents, and then she answered it how she wanted to answer it, and we still were able to talk about a lot of other stuff. I just think with Kelly right now... Um, it's just not the right timing. But I would like to have an interview uh, with her down the line and to maybe have a talk about some of the things and to see if she understands where she went wrong with with certain things and where she's caused problems for herself. And then I also would talk about how um, some of the backlash with certain things towards her has been overblown for sure. There has been a little bit of a witch hunt mentality. So, it goes, I think, both ways with Kelly, but look, as for the future of RHOC, I don't know what they're going to do. I'm sure Gina will stay because people really like Gina and she's younger and she has a lot going on in her life. People have said that Bronwyn might go, but I just think Bronwyn has like so much content in her. Why would you get rid of Bronwyn? I don't know. But look, I'm biased. I love the whole season. So, (laughs) and I'm excited for the future of the show. So, we'll see what happens. Uh, And also, as far as Kelly getting fired, I don't think- uh, her leaving the show will be announced until Bravo decides what they're doing with the OC. I think Bravo will decide the cast that they want and the direction they want to go in. And then I think they'll probably announce it in one go. And it will be like OC to resume filming with, you know, Shannon and Gina and four new cast members or whatever. I think that's how it's going to roll out. So, people that are sitting there waiting to hear the news of, like, Kelly's future on the show, I think just wait for an overall show announcement and that's when it will probably come. Some breaking news as I'm recording. I literally just saw this on my uh, Twitter timeline. The next Bachelorette has been announced for the US franchise, obviously. I do not watch Australian Bachelor. It's just awful. The next... The bachelorette is katie aka dildo girl remember she showed up on night one with the vibrator she was waving it around she was tapping people with the vibrator it's amazing to see her go from that to become bachelorette because you would think someone with such a gimmicky entrance would be kind of like you know out on episode two but she's made herself a huge part of the season i would say that uh Katie and Queen Victoria, who I'm going to get to in a minute, have really carried the season because Matt James is so boring. I don't think they should ever ever have another lead on the show that hasn't already done a previous season of Bachelor Bachelorette uh, prior because I think that when you do a season, you find your sea legs as far as reality television goes, like you understand the production side, you're more comfortable on camera. You've had a little taste of the spotlight and fame. you're more confident with Matt, it has been awkward. He's been boring. Um, I think he does whatever the producers tell him. I already wasn't a fan of his uh, prior to him being announced, just because he is friends with Tyler C., who I think is such a fuckboy and such a fame whore. So, I'm just not sold on Matt James. I think he's boring, but I think that uh, Katie is going to give us a lot, because- Katie has been stirring the pot. She is a fan favourite. I don't know if people can see what she's doing behind the scenes. I can see it. She is... She knows exactly what she's doing. She knew what she was doing with her vibrator entrance. She is causing drama with the girls. She tattles to Matt on the other girls. Uh, She puts herself into conflict and fights. She knows how to get in front of a camera. And we need that for a lead on the show because we want drama, like, how good was Claire's portion of The Bachelorette with all of the fucking mess that she brought? And then how boring was Tasia? I mean, Tasia is amazing. Tasia is, like, perfection, and I'm a big Tasia fan from Bachelor in Paradise and Colton's season of The Bachelor, but it was really hard to go from- you know, the dizzying highs of clingy, crazy Claire to like Miss Perfectasia. So I think that Katie is going to give us a a bit of a Hannah Brown style season actually, because she has a lot of similar traits to Hannah Brown. Like she's emotional. She knows how to stand up for herself and speak her mind. She's sex positive. I think it's going to be great. Uh, As for the rest of the season of The Bachelor with Matt James, uh, I'm not that excited for that because Queen Victoria is gone. And like I said, Queen Victoria and Katie carried the season. I mean, Queen Victoria is an iconic villain. She is just – she was like a parody of a uh, high school mean girl. She was an absolute bully in the house, and it was hilarious. I'm sorry. Um, I know bullying in real life is – awful and it's like the worst thing you can do and it leads to people being depressed and committing suicide and all of that. Totally get it. As far as reality television goes, yes, I would like to watch bullying and mean girl behaviour because (laughs) if we're not watching bullying on The Bachelor, then we're just watching, what, some fucking lame vanilla date of people in a hot air balloon kissing and, you know, talking about nothing ugh, whatever. So, Queen Victoria was an icon. She had such a great dramatic exit. She had this huge meltdown. It was pretty embarrassing for her, actually. And I think it was because she had a fight with Katie, which I was hoping to see them resolve some of that in Bachelor in Paradise, but I guess Katie won't be on Paradise anymore because uh, she's going to be the Bachelorette. But Victoria had an explosive exit, and um they also got rid of the other girl that I liked uh Anna, because Anna's the one that spread the rumor that one of the other girls in there was an escort, and that was some good drama. Anna was a little bit of a bully too, and you know what I felt quite bad seeing Anna get eliminated because she looked mortified she I think she was genuinely remorseful that she had accused um this other girl, of being an escort, and you could see it on her face, you could see her being like, fucking hell, I came on The Bachelor, I thought this would be a fairy tale, and then I let, you know, producers get in my ear, and... I stupidly decided to bring this up on camera and now I look like the most awful, terrible person in the world and it's like this one decision that she probably feels like has ruined her life. Now, on the flip side, it's made her stand out enough to probably be back on Paradise. I'm sure they'll get Anna on Paradise and then um, the girl that she called an escort and they'll probably hash that out. They'll probably make up and you know what? The Bachelor loves a redemption arc for a villain, so we might see a much better side of Anna on Paradise. So, good luck to her. And you know what? Queen Victoria, I'm sure, will be on Paradise too. She's going to run Paradise. I can't wait for it. Um, Let me know if you're going to watch the rest of Matt James' season of The Bachelor, though, because I just don't know if it's worth watching without Victoria. Oh, and one last Bachelor-related thing. One of the contestants, Rachel, she's one of the prettiest ones, apparently she's a racist. That's what I've been seeing online. Now, when these things come up about Bachelor contestants, I take them with a grain of salt just because the Bachelor fandom is the most hypersensitive, uh fandom of any reality show i mean god we talk about cancel culture on the podcast like if you think housewives is bad it's nothing compared to bachelor people like you can't even sneeze the wrong way and bachelor nation will come after you so you know whenever i see them uh coming after someone and they've gone through their you know old tweets from 10 years ago and they're like you liked this or you like that um i never take it that seriously but a lot of stuff is coming out of Rachel where it's starting to look credible. So, she had some problematic, you know, Instagram likes or whatever, which to me, I don't include that. I don't think that you should be going through anyone's social media likes and judging them on that because I don't think it proves anything. But then some girls came out on TikTok and they said that Rachel bullied them in high school and that she made racist remarks about... Um, she made racist remarks about uh, white girls that date black guys or something like that. And it wasn't just one girl that said that, like a bunch of people came forward. So there's that. And then this, like, I'm not passing judgment on Rachel yet, just because I want to like look into this myself. I haven't had time, so I don't want to come on and go condemn her if I haven't like looked at it myself uh, to make a a judgment on that, but I did see something, uh, across my timeline that she attended, uh, it was like a Southern, she attended some Southern plantation ball. Um, and look, obviously I'm Australian. I don't, I don't know how those things work. Like, Obviously, I know about plantations and slavery and everything. Of course, that's not something that you'd be wanting to role play. When I saw it, I'm like, well, is I mean, do Americans in the South do this? Is this just like a historical thing that's not racist or is this considered like a racist thing? Like, I'm not... Please don't twist this like I'm condoning. I'm literally saying I'm Australian. I don't fucking know. But from what I'm seeing on social media, a lot of people are like, this is unacceptable uh, that she attended this. Why would she go to this? And then when they combine it with all of the other stuff, it's really a bad look. So it's not looking great for this Rachel. And... Even more awkward is that she is a front runner. She is, from what I've seen, gets very far. And Matt James is obviously the first Black Bachelor. So, how the hell are they going to deal with that? I mean, imagine if she wins and then that's putting him in a in a very weird situation because it's kind of like, I don't know, I'm just interested to see how this plays out. And I think that, um, uh, I think as far as her being a racist or not- Until I see concrete proof of it, I'm actually- I mean, I'm going to look into it myself, but until I see concrete proof, I'm actually going to go by what Matt does, because I think he's obviously in a relationship with her on the show. She obviously gets very far. I think if Matt says that he doesn't think she's racist or whatever, I'll go by what he says. But then I think if Matt says, no, this is unacceptable, this is racism, uh, And then breaks up with her or dumps her on the show whatever the situation might be. I think that's how I'm going to judge this situation. Unless I see something come out where she's like using the N-word or whatever, then I'm obviously going to be like, okay, yeah, she's fucking racist as hell. But until then, I'm just going to wait to see what Matt James says about it. So yeah, stay tuned on that one because that is going to be very interesting. Speaking of racism and psychotic fandoms, uh, The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills It looks like there could be some drama brewing with Garcelle, and I am dreading it because I already know that anybody that doesn't take Garcelle's side is going to be called a racist on Twitter. I've already shared with you my traumatising experience of having Twitter trolls call me racist when I took Kyle's side over Garcelle's last season. I will never get over it, it haunts me, and the trolls actually called Kyle a racist too after the reunion Ed when Kyle called out Garcelle uh, for not paying the thing at the charity event, and I know that it's coming next season, I'm just like- bracing myself for the accusations and the witch hunt. And you know, the funny thing about this whole Garcelle situation is that I actually had Carlos King on the Black uh, Bravo showrunner and he's very passionate about race in reality TV and representation and diversity. And we had a really good talk about it, but Even he was Team Kyle in that whole thing and, you know, he had the same thoughts on Garcelle as I did, but it's like, yeah, let's just ignore what the black showrunner has to say and call every white person racist if Garcelle isn't their absolute favourite housewife in history, so, ugh, I'm I'm already like, I'm just gearing up for it. So, look, the other day the women uh, went on a cast trip because they're filming the new season now and Garcelle wasn't there. Some fan on Twitter then asked Garcelle if she was going, and she tweeted back a simple no. So, then me being the smartass that I am, then I tweeted something along the lines of, like, well, she skipped half the cast events last season, so are we surprised that she's doing it again? And the Garcelle stands were not happy with that. The Garcelle stands, they have this weird thing now where you're not allowed to acknowledge that Garcelle is, you know, booked and busy and has a million other jobs and that she sometimes doesn't go to cast events because she has other things going on. They do not like anybody bringing that up, anybody mentioning it. They freak out. They've got like Twitter threads now that list every single event that she went to last season with photos and you know, I see it and I'm like, well, I mean, I watched the show last year and she kept missing stuff at the start of the season and she even acknowledged it herself. But okay, sure. She was at everything. Um, You can live in your delusion. It's fine. Just they're very intense. You know, when I come across a Garcelle stand now, it's a little bit like, look, stay calm, maintain eye contact, walk slowly back towards the door when you're close enough like fling it open and like just run out of the room it's a very similar reaction that i would have to uh lisa vanderpump fans who are also terrifying so anyway look garcelle later showed up on the cast trip there was a selfie of them all together and you know that's interesting because she did say that she wasn't going so it makes me wonder if the producers told her like you know get your ass there uh, you know you better be on this fucking trip because you've missed too much stuff or maybe Maybe the plan, or like maybe it was a bit of a mis- miscommunication and she was just going to miss the start of it because she had work commitments and then she was always going to show up on day two or something, I don't know. But there was a blind item on Crazy Days and Nights, which is like a blind item gossip blog, and it's obviously about Garcelle. Let me read out what they said. They wrote, don't believe the hype, this West Coast housewife did make the cast trip, just not on the first day. Also, although she is still fairly new, she's going to make this season her last because she just has too many projects lined up that pay way more money and involve much less stress. It is similar to the last person who left this franchise. The last person, obviously, being Denise. So, look, I would not be surprised if Garcelle leaves after next season. I mean, she is a working actress, she's a co-host on The Real, um and maybe it is in her best interest just to leave while she's still a fan fave. Like, two seasons on the show is a good run, um she gets the exposure of the show, which is huge. I mean, obviously, Housewives of Beverly Hills airs in every single country. It was enough to get her as a co-host on The reel, so things are going pretty well for her. I probably wouldn't stick around either if I didn't need it. Yeah, look, I am just kind of dreading the new season because the Beverly Hills fandom is by far the worst, most intense of all the Bravo fandoms. There is just something about the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills that gets under people's skin like no other other show and I'm just praying that Garcelle is perfect and she's just fabulous and amazing because um you know she was I felt like last season when she joined the show I loved her it wasn't it wasn't until her falling out with Kyle that I was a bit like not team Garcelle but I just want her to be amazing and fabulous because I don't want to have to spend the entire season being branded a nazi if I dare to acknowledge that you know Garcelle was rude to Lisa Rinna at a party or something it's just a lot to deal with You know, I naively thought that the toxic Beverly Hills stands would have, uh, you know, been vanquished with Lisa Vanderpump leaving, but they really just migrated over to Denise Richards. And now that Denise is gone, they're latching on to Garcelle, and it is going to be a rough ride for anybody that is not obsessed with every single thing that Garcelle does, so buckle up. Speaking of Lisa Vanderpump, she is coming back with a brand new show on E! It looks fucking awful. It's called Overserved with Lisa Vanderpump, and it's just Lisa having dinner parties at Villa. Rosa with, like, Lance Bass are just a flop waiting to happen. And look, I understand that Lisa Vanderpump has a core group of stands that love everything that she does, and I think a show like this will be right up their alley, because it's like, you know, they get to see Lisa with her, her, you know, sex jokes that we've heard a thousand times, and they get to see Villa Rosa, and they get to see her mingling with her friends, and she's not having drama or getting um, you know, called out by the other women on The Housewives, so her fans are gonna love it, but this isn't a show with, like, wide appeal. This is a show that appeals to, like, a small core group of Lisa Vanderpump stands and that's about it. You would think that this would be on, like, Lisa Vanderpump's YouTube channel or something. The fact that E! actually picked this show up, I- I'm a little shocked. And look, I'll eat crow if this show debuts and it has like good ratings and it's a hit because I think it's going to flop even more so than Cocktails with Khloe Kardashian did. Uh, The trailer is a mess. At one point, Lisa Vanderpump, I think she's drunk or she's pretending to be drunk. She runs out on the lawn, uh, pulls her pants down with her ass out, and like her bare ass out like a frat boy. And it's kind of sad to watch because it's like, you know, she's like 60 years old now. And, you know, she is a classy, you know, she's an English rose. And to see her bent over like that for airtime, I mean, she is a narcissist. Look, she loves the limelight to the point that she was playing these evil chess games with the women on Beverly Hills because she was so obsessed with the fame. And, Now it's like, what does she have? Her restaurants have closed down. Vanderpump Rules is on pause. She's not on the Housewives of Beverly Hills anymore. I've listened to her podcast and it's not very good. So, you know, she obviously wants the spotlight again. And, mm. But look, I'll say a few positive things about Lisa Vanderpump, because I know there's a lot of fans out there that adore her and that are really going to enjoy this show. And to Lisa's credit, I will say that Even if this show flops, which I think it will, the fact that she can actually get her own show greenlit and on air, just of her having dinner parties at her house, that really shows her star power. Like, she is still a big fucking deal. Whether this show flops or not, the fact that she could even get it on air is an accomplishment because you think about all the other housewives that leave the show, how many of them could get their own show on tv nini can't now that's why she's you know saying that bravo's racist or whatever um Tamara and vicky haven't been able to get their show on air Who else? Like, Bethany is probably the only one that I can think of. And, like, Teresa. Like, Teresa could probably get her own show. Bethany, I'm sure, if she wants to go back to television. Actually, Bethany does have her own show. She's got, like, some Apprentice business show coming out. So, yeah. Bethany, Teresa, and Lisa Vanderpump. I can't think of anyone else that could do that. So, credit where credit is due, Lisa Vanderpump is still a big star. And, I don't know, you stans better watch it, because... I don't know who else is going to be watching it except the the LVP fans that just want to watch her swishing around Rosé and, um, you know, cracking the same joke about how she hasn't blown Ken in 25 years. So, guys, enjoy that one. I will not be watching. Actually, that's a lie. I will watch it just to mock it on this podcast. So, that's it for this week, guys. Thanks so much for listening. Um, I have a little bit of a rebrand coming soon. I'm just waiting to get... The artwork back. Uh, My artwork will kind of be the same. I'm just making a few little tweaks to it, but I'm changing the name of the podcast because politically incorrect. It's just, it's just too confusing. It's too much. I hate it now. uh, I was trying way too hard to be unique and I felt like, you know, I had to have a name that nobody else had. And now that I've had the podcast out, I realize, you know what? I actually need like a mainstream name that people are going to understand and it's going to make fucking sense so it's getting a new name it's going to get new social media handles i will update you all when that happens um but just look if suddenly i pop up in your feed with a different name it's still me okay we're just going through some changes but for now you can follow me on social media at pop inc pod on twitter and instagram of course you can support the show on buy me a coffee uh all the money there goes towards the various fees that it takes to run this show and make sure you watch married at first sight australia guys do not forget um and yeah that's about it i guess i will see you next week hopefully i will have a guest on you know i was supposed to have a guest this week and they flaked and i'm really glad that they did because i just felt like i had so much to talk about that i didn't even need a guest but i'm gonna try and get one of the married at first sight villains on i think because i just think that'll be fun so yeah look stay tuned for that next week and have a great week see ya